Welcome to Confessions of a Melanated Queen, a podcast designed to celebrate achievements within black culture. Here's your host, Dr. Lauren Meeks. Welcome back to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Before we get started, let's hear a word from our sponsor. The Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness, and Transformation is your one-stop shop to Wellville. Here at the Center, we believe in treating the whole person. This is why our goal is to help each of our clients to obtain optimal health and wellness through mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional alignment. For more information about the services that we provide, visit us at thecenterforselfimprovement.com or give us a call at 630-748-4849. The Center, where we believe in treating the whole you. Welcome back, family, to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. I am like a kid in a candy store today because I get a chance to talk to one of my greatest inspirations. You all know that every Monday I'll forward you a Facebook post from my favorite podcast, Conversations with the Royal Empress. Well, I have the privilege of speaking to what they call, who they call the analytical one, which is Akila Shabazz who is one of the members of this wonderful show, this wonderful organization. Akila, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I just want to share this real quick with you. My confession this week is that Conversations with the Royal Empress has taught me so much in the few months that you all have had your show as a podcast. Um, some of the things that, I, that comes to my mind when I think about how I feel after either Sunday nights listening to the show or Monday mornings when I'm driving to work and I have a long commute and I get a chance to hear you sisters talk. Um, first of all, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a privileged person who gets a chance to kind of be in the corner of a room and watch you all engage. And from that, I feel pride. I feel social responsibility. I'm reminded of how important it is um, to maintain sisterhood. I feel spiritually enlightened. I feel um, self-improved. It's just, is there's, it's, it's such a great way to just kick off the week. And you and I have had some side conversations where I'm like, you know, my husband and I had a conversation and we talked about this and it becomes a family thing where my family is becoming more familiar with you and your work and what you guys are doing. And so I wanted to take the remaining of the month of October to dedicate to you three sisters and you are the first one to, you know, to have opportunity to sit down with me. And I want to thank you for that though. So I just want to take this time to thank you so much for being such an inspiration to me. Oh my goodness. That is so humbling. sis. And (laughs) thank you. And we certainly appreciate you tuning into the show. And uh, I don't know what to say because (laughs) it's humbling. So uh, I see it as a blessing um, that you find so much inspiration in our show. Absolutely. And so I just, I, I feel humbled and blessed. So you're equally appreciated. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And what's so funny is that we've, um, you know, this is always just a, a lot of fun for me when I sit and talk to people. And so we were talking because we were, we're both podcasters and there's so many different yeah. styles of podcasts. And so family, just so you all know a little bit about what, what has happened behind the scenes before we start recording, <laughs> we just spent about the last 20 minutes talking about Akila's bio and... <laughs> 
how are we going to address it? Because she is humble. She is so humble. And um, there's a lot of things that she's doing right now for the community. When you talk about black excellence, she represents that to the fullest. Um, and so we talked about her bio and we, and, and we were able to kind of go through some of the things that we wanted to bring up, but she has so much going for herself that, you know, she is like, you don't have to say all of that, Lauren, just, just stick with this and stick with that. <laughs> but I just want to share with you all a little bit about um Akila and she is definitely um from the city of Chicago and so born and raised Southside, correct? Oh, absolutely. I'm so Chicago. So Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and so I see here it says that you always like to acknowledge that first and foremost any of your accomplishments past, present and future all are all by God's permission as well as committing to do the work. That is so powerful. Um, yes. She follows the proverb, the African proverb, when you pray, move your feet. I just have to stop you right there because that's phenomenal to me. What does that mean to you? You know, I can take it also to a biblical um, scripture that says, um, <laughs> you know, faith without work is dead. Mm-hmm. So I think it really has the same connotation. You know, so... Yes, we can pray for everything that we want and desire, but if you don't move your feet, don't think that it's just going to happen for you. So you have to have more than just an idea, more than just a desire, more than just a belief. There has to be some action behind it. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's basically what that means. But I think about that, that proverb all the time, when you pray, move your feet. So don't ask God for something. And then sit there thinking that it's going to fall out of the sky mm-hmm. or sit there thinking that just I'm going to wake up and this is going to happen. But you've done nothing to make it happen. So that's uh, that, that it's a, it's it's definitely something that I, I believe in. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to keep praying. You know, I pray up, you know, you stay as they say, stay prayed up. But I don't. What What is it that I'm showing to the creator myself? Mm-hmm. that I'm deserving of whatever it is that I'm asking for it's because I'm willing to work for it. Right. Wow. See, this is why I stay inspired. <laughs> <laughs> and you also say that one of your great, your greatest accomplishment is being a mother, which is a thankless, challenging and rewarding job. Oh yeah. Definitely. I can attest to that. I can attest to that. Oh yeah. It is. It's a, it, it has taught me humility as well and patience and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you're responsible for this human being that has to one day go out into this world and be a productive citizen. And I think that that's a tremendous job because what you turn out to society is important. You know, you can't just have children and throw them out for the streets to raise them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a duty. It's an obligation. And it's difficult, but it's rewarding. Um, particularly when you when you have a child that contributes something to this world, and and we should all strive for our children to do that, no matter how big or small, it's still a contribution. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm a mom myself, so I definitely I'm feeling you on that. Um, mm-hmm. So, in addition, well, we talk about it. <laughs> we talk about it. We talk about oh, it. Oh yeah, talk about it. Especially you know, being a mother of sons. Yeah, is it? It's it's heavy. It's a lot of work. You know, my mind is always on how I can do better. You know, yes. how I, because when we're gone, you know, that this, this is who we're leaving. Right. Know? Yeah. And and we want to leave them in a position that 
that they're okay, that they can actually survive, that they can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, I think, I think every mother can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And so we, along with all that, you are an attorney, you're a writer, you're a proponent of conflict resolution, you're an arbitrator and certified mediator. Mm-hmm. So your hands are full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not to mention that you're a former television reporter. And you contributed yes. to the ICNA's magazine in 1996. Can you explain to us what the ICNA is? Or? That's the Islamic Circle of North America. They had a, a magazine called The Message. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of issues that you know pertain to the Muslim community, but, but just the world in general, world affairs, things like that. So that particular year, I, I want to say it was the... Olympics that was going on with the American team, and I interviewed Hakeem Olajuwon, who played for the Houston Rockets back then, because Hakeem is obviously a Muslim, Mm. and I did an interview with him, and it was actually during Ramadan, I believe. (laughs) I can't remember now. I just know that it was in in the summer of 96, and we, uh, but it was was fascinating, because I recall when we were doing the interview, he, he told me, oh, it's time for prayer. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we had to get off the line until he finished praying. And then I had to call him back and finish the interview. <laughs> 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 I was like, okay, that was a first. That was a first. That's oh, amazing yeah. to me. And, and, and within that also, you had an opportunity to meet the greatest, the late great Muhammad Ali. And you described oh, it yeah. as you were kissed by the greatest. So it, apparently he was standing, he was standing, um, with the cameraman and no, you, you were saying with the cameraman with the microphone in your hand and he stretched out and he embraced you and kissed you on the cheek. He did. Wow. Yes. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I was, uh, um, and this is, this is when I was still obviously a television reporter and mm-hmm. I was sent to cover the story because he was coming to this event and, you know, he was late and we were looking for him. So we were walking down and as I was walking, he stopped walking and he pointed at me and you know how you like summon somebody to you. Right. And I looked around because I thought maybe he was talking to somebody else. And then I looked and he pointed at me again and I pointed at myself. He said, yeah, come here. (laughs) And so I walked over to him and he opened up his arms real wide and he grabbed me and gave me like the biggest hug and kissed me on the cheek. I was like, wow. <laughs> wow! And then I, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I spent the rest of the time with him. And of course, people kept thinking I was with him. I'm like, no, I don't have a cameraman and a microphone in my hand for nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, <laughs> I'm not part of the Ali team. But you know, I sat at the table with him as he was signing autographs for people, and you know, we were kind of talking back and forth. And of course, at that time, his speech was still mm-hmm. his speech was not great and my news director wanted me to get an interview with him and he told me he says you know I don't I don't do very well and I was like don't even worry about it I'm not going to even attempt to do it and when I got ready to go I whispered in his ear and gave him the Muslim greeting and he smiled and then of course he greeted me back and that was it but he was actually in our viewing audience he used to live in Berrien Springs in Michigan and so I never knew whether he recognized me from TV, if I if it was because I was the only other black person he saw, or if you know, as they say, Doc. I mean, um, Muhammad Ali had a thing for the ladies. So you know, I I, I still don't know. But all I can tell you is I got a hug and a kiss, and 
and and that is my Muhammad Ali story. So yes, I've been kissed by the greatest. That's beautiful. I mean, because he's such an instrumental um, figure in our history and our culture. So to have that moment, um, before we wrap up the show, I, I'll mention a moment I had like that. It wasn't with Ali, unfortunately. I, I wish I would have had a chance to meet him, but um, that had to be a very special day for you. Yeah, it, it was. And I would say, because I've met a lot of obviously famous people because of what I did, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, government officials, you name it. And so I've never been impressed or enamored by people. But Ali would have definitely probably been the only person that I've, well, not the only person that I've met, but one of the only people that I think that I've met that I felt, you know, like a, like a fan, you know, like a, like, um, a humbled, I don't even know, I still to this day, I can't really describe it because it was just like that once in a lifetime thing to, to get to see somebody and then to see them in, in their, their natural, you know, just who they are. You know, he was doing his magic tricks and, and all of those things. But I got to like sit there with him and have a moment with him that wasn't really work. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was probably the beautiful thing about that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And so, you know, you you have had your hands in quite a few things. Um, and you you've been a television reporter. You know, at one point, you and I had a conversation about your time as a flight attendant. You travel a lot. You're an author. Yeah. You do a lot, and then you know you have a law practice. Why yeah. do you think that the Royal Empress Organization is so important for our people right now? Wow. Well, you know, our organization is really about empowering black women, um, uplifting black women, sharing with black women. And I think anything that promotes sisterhood, anything that is designed to help us is important. And that's that's really what uh, brought us together was our, our desire to, to give more to the sisterhood. And the best ways to do that. I mean, everybody is doing work out here. You know, we got a lot of sisters that are that are, are reaching and 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 grabbing each other. You know, we're we're all trying to pull each other up. And so, you know, but we all have something to add. And whatever you can add to the sisterhood, as far as I'm concerned, great. The more, the merrier. But we all have a different perspective, mm-hmm. and. We all have different talents and really, you know, those talents, I think, should not just benefit our people, but it should benefit us as women as well. And so, you know, I'm a firm believer that women can work well together. We can be friends to one another and we can uplift each other. And I think that's part of what brought us together as the Royal Empress as well, is that is that desire to stay committed to the sisterhood. Right. And and all three of you bring such, you know, a wealth of knowledge, you know, from your own personal and professional lives and your knowledge. And I've learned so much just listening and thinking and some of the guests that you've brought on. You know, I've had the privilege of being on the show and I will tell you that that was like the highlight of my life because oh. it was such a an honor because it's, you know, it's it's hard 
from podcast to podcast, I could tell you that when I was researching podcasting and just trying to figure out how does it work and just listening to other shows, I was very discouraged from listening to some of the stuff that's out there. And to find a show to where I not only do I really, I, I, I enjoy the conversation, but I can walk away and I can share. I want other people to hear it too, because I know it will benefit them to share with my family. But there are steps that I can take. There is not just one of those things where, okay, that was some good tea for the week. I literally have a plan of action in place. You know, when you had one guest on, they were talking, you guys were talking about just, you know, on the unfortunate reality of white supremacy and then even raising children in, in that society and the structure. What do you, how do you move forward with that? And I literally, I had, I had plans. I had things I needed to do. I had action steps there. There, there was a call to action and you don't find that very often. And so share with us a little bit more about, you know, the podcast itself and some of the things, some of the conversations you all have are very personal. We've had a chance to kind of hear some of the things that, that you all are dealing with individually as women um, from work to raising children um, to health and wellness. How do you think that you all come up with those concepts? Is it something that, you know, you're just kind of paying attention to what's happening out there? You having conversations with one another. How, how are they influenced? Some of our topics are born out of our actual conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we style the show after, with, if you um, recall in the beginning when we were just doing the promotions for the show, and in the promotion we said, be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. to hear what it is that an empress really talks about when nobody else is listening. And so we thought that these conversations that we're having with one another how great would it be for somebody else to actually listen in to hear what our thoughts are, what we're thinking about, what we're talking about that nobody else is really hearing and how important it is for people to actually get a chance to hear these conversations that women are having. And we're not sitting around gossiping. We're not sitting around talking about reality shows. We're not sitting around talking about those. We're talking about things that affect our lives and how to make our lives better. And I thought that that was important personally, and I think we thought as a group that that was important, that we put our unique perspectives out there um, for the world to hear. And so so honestly, a lot of our, con- our, lot of our topics came up just from actual conversation. So sometimes, you know, like when you said that, that it's real, there was one podcast we did on the difficulties of raising adult, you know, our older children. Mm-hmm. And we were literally on talking because, you know, one of the sisters was having an issue with the older child. And I stopped to say, we need to be recording this. And that's basically how that podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> developed. So you really truly were a fly on the wall. Right. Because we were having the conversation. Now, of course, it was like, okay, it, it's kind of personal. Is everybody okay with this? And yeah. so we went forward and we did that. So, you know, so we we do, we, we toss around ideas that are relevant to the world, things that we think would be important to talk about, you know, but like I said, most of it is born out of conversation. We could, some, sometimes we may switch gears in terms of what we were planning to talk about because we talk about an, an issue that comes up and it's like, okay, we need to do a podcast. And, and discuss this. Because if we're discussing it and it's on our minds, that means it's on the minds of other women. Mm-hmm. 
So I think, and listening to your friends, paying attention to what people are talking about on social media. You know, if you have your your, your hands out there and and you can feel the pulse of, of, of the sisterhood and what's important to us, I think that's how you end up coming up with topics that are relevant to uh, black women in particular and women in general. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And it, you know, it ties into some of the other things that you're doing. One example, you know, as we were going through your, your bio briefly, your work with mediation. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. um, And what does that really mean in your world? As a mediator, <laughs> yeah. Well, mediation. To, I mean, that's part of conflict um, resolution. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, with me, as far as mediations, most of the mediations I deal with are child custody mediation. And I used to to do that uh, for the county for the um, Cook County court system. And I, I'm still court appointed, and I do private mediations as well. But the mediations really, it's, it's basically like a third party neutral that sits down with two people to help them resolve a conflict. Mm-hmm. And you don't really have a, a stake in the outcome. And you're like this unbiased voice that can actually sit them down and, and help them deal with the reality of the situation and come away with their own conclusion so that they can avoid having a judge tell them how they should conduct their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a strong proponent of people using mediation to resolve their issues as far as parenting children when you're in two separate households. I, I do not believe that you should have a stranger dictate to you how you should co-parent your children. I think that that's a responsibility that people should have themselves and that you should be adult enough to sit down with that other parent and work it out. And if you can't do it together, then a mediator is is great because, again, you have this unbiased person who's not going to tell you what to do, but they're going to sit down and help you to figure it out together what you need to do. So, you know, but there's all sorts of mediations that, you know, that I've done, I've done you know, uh, landlord tenant mediations. I've done mediations where, you know, people um, owe other people money, you know, and they're suing mm-hmm. the other person. You can mediate between family members, all of those things. So, you mm-hmm. know, and, and then me saying I'm a certified mediator is because I actually went through a mediation course where I um, got a certificate to mediate. Now, the only thing is with my experiences because I actually worked um, for the courts doing it. You know, my training is probably a little more extensive than the 40-hour mediation courts. Well, I shouldn't say it might be. It is. (laughs) Yeah. And do you think that with that skill set and just that um, that method in general, not only through the legal system, but just with social issues, you mentioned family, uh, when families aren't in the middle of a legal crisis, but maybe just they're struggling, do you do you see the need and the um, the benefit of having a mediator involved? Absolutely. It's, it's somebody, but you you want somebody that's skilled. Now anybody can actually. I mean, I think everybody says, "Hey, I, I'm um, you know, I had to mediate this dispute." Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's dispute is is resolving disputes, right? But 
you know, I mean, I have definitely had to sit down with family before and act as an, you know, an unbiased person to help the family get through conflict. So, you know, we do that. And I think that we need to take a, a deeper look at that in terms of resolving our problems mm-hmm. sometimes that it, it is okay to designate a person that, Hey, if we can't work this out, you know, let's pick this person who we know is unbiased. Right. They, you, you have to be unbiased if you're going to be a mediator. That's so important. Yeah. You, you have to be unbiased. You can't have somebody that's taking time and you can't have someone who's trying to project mm-hmm. their reality into your reality. You know, just because you wouldn't, you know, if you say, oh, well, I wouldn't do this. Well, okay, you have no business mediated because that's not your job. Your job is to listen to both sides and to make sure that those two people actually hear one another. So I may sit in a mediation and a person says something and the other person totally ignores what they said and starts talking about something else. And I have stopped people and said, okay, let me stop you right now. Did you hear what this person just said to you? And I may repeat what that person just said. How are you responding to the, this is what this person feels. So respond to that. But see, when you don't have somebody else in there, sometimes you can't get that other voice that says, stop. This person just said this. Validate that person's emotions. That's part of why we have so much conflict is because we feel like somebody else is not validating Mm -hmm. what it is that we're saying. And that usually is a problem with communication with people. That's why people argue. That's why we can't see eye to eye half the time because we don't listen to one another. And so then conflict arise, disputes arise. I think it's kind of similar. Sometimes people feel like a mediator is almost like a counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to a counseling session, but it is different because a counselor may sometimes give an opinion, whereas a mediator's job is not necessarily to give an opinion, even though you may suggest something, you know, but you have to be careful to say, this is a suggestion. This is not something I'm asking you to follow. It's just interesting to me because oftentimes I think that in our in our culture, a lot of our families, and we are so quick to say that we don't want anybody in our business. So uh, oftentimes issues are not resolved because we don't want to bring a third party in. We don't want people to know in our business. And so nothing ever gets resolved and just keeps going and going and going. And so do you see that being an issue, that, that mindset? It's absolutely a mindset, but that's also what gets people in court. And what have, has people ordered to mediation mm-hmm. by court order? So now somebody has to force you to go and sit down and talk about your problem yeah. with somebody that you don't have a clue who this person is. Sometimes you may get a mediator who's not culturally sensitive. This is true. And I think that that's, that's extremely important as well, that you can actually relate to the people that you are mediating a dispute between. So... You know, I, I do. I, do. I, I, I am a I am such a fan of it. And I just think that it should be going on in our culture far more than it is. You know, when we if we think back to Africa and to what our elders used to do, they did. They did that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's there was an elder who who helped to resolve conflict. And I think it's something that's missing. And although people, we're doing it in our court systems, we're doing it in general. You hear a lot of people talking about conflict resolution as it pertains to the youth and going into schools now and and 
and, and doing that. And so we're hearing the word conflict resolution thrown out there a lot. But I think that it's prob- it needs to spread a little more than it is. And we need to understand that we do need to bring that village me- mentality back. And elders are a beautiful source, you know, and I, I, I just, you know, that's just what I think. I, I, I really do. So, yeah, I'm a fan of mediation. I love doing mediations. I wish I could do more mediations. And, you know, I now I don't go to court and help people fight for child custody, but mm-hmm. I, I will only mediate a dispute between people because I don't believe in that whole court system. I think what happens sometimes when we're fighting over children is that you, you bring children into the middle of adult crisis and we don't understand the long term effects that we have on our children when we do that. And it's not pretty. And I've mm-hmm. interviewed hundreds, maybe thousands of children. And every time I've interviewed the children during the mediation, the majority of them say they feel caught in the middle between their parents. And children have a tendency to say to one parent something that they think that parent wants to hear and then to the other parent what they think that parent wants to hear. And then both parents are like, well, no, see, the child said this. I'm said that's because they love you both. Mm-hmm. And they don't want you upset with them. So they tell you what, you, what they think you want to hear. But because you two aren't listening to each other and you're putting this child in the middle of this adult conflict, that's why you continue with the conflict and that's why you screw your children up. So Yeah, we see that in, in children. We see it in families. We see it socially on social media. People are not listening to each other. You know, we, no. we're in the middle of the show will come out in a couple of weeks. So this will be October before folks hear this stuff. But this is the week that, you know, um, our beloved Bill Cosby was sentenced And Mm -hmm. there is such a war online right now. And I'm noticing that people are having a hard time just understanding. Now I have very strong opinions about the whole situation, but you know, when I, when I see someone and they express their concerns and why they feel some kind of way, you know, it's really important that I understand where they come from and people have lost that. They've lost the ability to be able to do that, you know, and to listen with empathy at, at that. People talk not to listen, but to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, I sometimes I say it's like, you know how we used to play double dutch mm-hmm. and when it was when you were going into the rope, you you know, you were bouncing back and forth waiting for your turn to jump mm-hmm. in. Yeah. That, that's how I see communication with us. You're just on the sideline waiting to jump in. You're not really listening. You're not really paying attention. You're not paying attention to how the person in front of you is jumping in the rope. You just want them out the rope so you can get in. And honestly, I think that that's the communication style that we have developed. And, you know, social media hasn't necessarily helped that, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's like for the first time. And so I attribute it also to everyone wanting their 15 minutes of fame. Everyone, oh, wow, somebody's actually listening to me. You know, there's a lot of uh, psychology behind social media, too. They, you know, I, I say it's a psychologist uh you know, like it's like a feast for them because they have actually contemplated adding something about social media addiction to the um, mental health manual. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> designating it a mental illness. And so there's so many studies behind it. And so I think that you're going to see probably even more conflict among people um, on social media. Because it's it and, and you have to understand that because you're behind a keyboard, in a way it's almost one way communication each way. I type, you type. You know, there's there's no watching body language, there's no tone, there's no 
any of that. So you've taken away that very human aspect. And so it's easier to not sympathize or empathize with people when there's no real verbal communication or there's no physical communication. Just my opinion. Yeah. And what what also I'm excited about is that because some of that has become so overwhelming, um, it, it, it it can become an issue. I mean, families are not even communicating anymore because everybody's on their phone. You are providing an opportunity for women to get together for nearly a week <laughs> and get oh. away from it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I yes. want to say that I'm going to participate in the retreat. Tell us about your retreat, your annual retreat. Yes, the Then the Sun Rose Women's Retreat. It was born, actually, the name of the retreat came from the book that I wrote, um, and then the Sun Rose, My Reflections in Haku. And I had always wanted to do women's retreats. I'd been on women's retreats, and I kept thinking, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I said, I need to do a retreat that I want to attend. Not that there was anything wrong with the women's retreats that I attended. I enjoyed them. But I wanted something that I personally would want to attend. And so, you know, I believe in that whole thing that you should want for your sister what you want for yourself. So when I started getting feedback on the book and people were telling me what moved them, how this made them feel, how this helped them, how this particular one little poem did something for them that gave them the courage to do this. I thought I need to bring that feeling that I'm hearing from these women to life. And that's really how I developed the retreat around bringing, basically making those words in the book, a living, walking, breathing thing. And that was the goal with the retreat. And, you know, I'm happy to say that from the feedback that I've gotten from the women, that that's exactly what it has done. You know, so my retreats, obviously, Typical relaxation workshops, but culture is extremely important to me. And I don't believe that we really can get what we need if we don't incorporate us, i.e. Black people, our culture, into what we're doing. And so, you know, and, and so it's a huge part of understanding where you've come from just to aid in that whole process of healing. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm really excited about it. Even my husband told me, he was like, you absolutely need this. I showed him a promo <laughs> video and he's, he could see some of the things that, you know, you guys were participating in last year. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to it. Are, are there opportunities for women to still get involved with the retreat? There are. There's still four spaces left. Um, the retreat itself is March 24th through the 30th, technically. So I'll just throw, throw those dates out there. And because you can arrive on the 24th and you can leave on the 30th. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, so there's still opportunity to go, to come. There's a few shared spaces left um, for women to participate. And, um, you know, I obviously would love to fill those spaces. We are, this is still September. So in, in years past, I would have had more than four spaces left. So this is a little different (laughs) Mm -hmm. in that we are down to just four spots and it's just September because usually this was around the time that I would really kind of start promoting. But what has happened is that we have women who have been coming 
um, to the past retreats and I have quite a few repeat people. So, you know, so they fill those spots up quickly. And um, I moved the retreat this year. So we have a larger home that we're in. And so there were more opportunities for people to have their private rooms. And so, yeah, so the sisters were trying to fill those spaces quick. (laughs) And it's a beautiful home. I saw the pictures. It's right. What is it right off the ocean? It is an oceanfront property. Absolutely. I think it's important to always be near the water. And that's just my thing. I'm, I'm, I'm in love with the Atlantic Ocean. And so any retreat that I host is more, more than likely going to be off the Atlantic coast. But you and I so think spiritual too. Well, and that's part of it because obviously when we understand the transatlantic mm-hmm. slave trade, that is the route that yes. are, those are the waters that our ancestors came yes. here. Um, and so that's the significance for me for that. And mm-hmm. so my retreats tend to be in South Carolina. And if we, if you, I don't know if who knows this about our history, but over 60% of the Africans who were brought here and enslaved here came through South Carolina. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Wow. So it has an, it has um, some serious significance for me. Yeah, and then, of course, then they came through Virginia and mm-hmm. uh, North Carolina and, and, and places like that. But yeah, but 60%, 60% or, or, or a little bit or over 60% of all Africans that came to this country came through South Carolina. That's amazing. And so will there be cultural tours? Um, there's a lot that's absolutely. happened in the last couple of years in, in, in South Carolina. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and we do it all the time. Um, a, a lot of our retreat is focused on the Gullah culture. So people, I, I think most people have heard of uh, Gullah Geechee culture at this stage. And if we understand the Gullah people in that area, and they're not just in South Carolina, they're in Florida, there's a corridor called the Gullah Corridor. Mm-hmm. And so the Gullah culture extends from the coast of Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, North Carolina, you know, so kind of goes all up that coastline. And these are the only people that, to my understanding, who have retained a part of our African culture. You know, they speak with a different dialect. They actually, to me, it sounds like, you know, you think there's, they're from the islands, but technically it is an island um, in South Carolina. At the, at the bottom, right there off the coast, there are different islands down there. And, you know, so basically, particularly in the South Carolina area, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure about other areas of the, um, the Gullah Corridor, but I know that prior to them building bridges after the Civil War, the Gullah people were left basically there on their own. You know, there were Native Americans, there were um, Gullah, you know, so after the slavery ended, they left, they were pretty much there on their own. There were no bridges, so they had boats. And so it wasn't until the 50s that white people started building bridges. And then, of course, realizing, oh, look at this great coast. So they started stealing the land from the people down there. So, you know, we own that. So you look at a town like Hilton Head that was predominantly black before 1950, that's 80-something percent white. And so they have these beautiful big mansions all along the coast, but how'd they get the land? And the people didn't just sell it, although some of them will sell, but that's because you have the way that the air property is set up in South Carolina. You know, 
somebody one one heir I believe can decide to sell. And it could be somebody who has no attachment. You know, they could have moved away long time ago, have no interest, but you know, oh, so we're gonna offer you this amount of money and, and then you sell out your your, your family's uh, birthright, basically. And they've done they've done all kind of atrocious things down there. You know, um some there was one area where they did this like this plumbing, I think they did some kind of underwater system with their water. And then they started billing them for this that they didn't even need. And then if they couldn't pay the bill, they took their property. Wow. So we have to understand that things are still going on with our people in this country today in terms of people tricking us out of our land or people just stealing land. And it's, 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 it's an atrocity that has happened and is happening still to this day. And so I think it's important and part of, I think part of me with the retreat is, you know, just even putting the information out there. It's for the people to understand what's really going on. And, you know, and, and it's huge, but, you know, and part of too, what I do is I I try to make sure that I'm spending money with us Mm -hmm. when I do the retreat. So even though you can't do it with everything, because we don't own certain things. And so, so sometimes we still have to spend our dollars in places that we don't necessarily want to spend them. But, you know, I make sure that I'm spending black dollars during the, during the retreat, you know, and, and if, if it's not with black people, it's with small business owners. Yeah. So, and it's important. And I know the very first one I did, everybody that I did business with was a black woman. And it was about shattering that stereotype that black women can't get along and that we can't do business together because we can. My photographer was a woman. My transportation company was a black female owned (laughs) company. My chef was a black woman, you know? So everybody that, that had any hand in that was, was a black woman. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And you, you mentioned chef and I have to, I have to address the idea of the women who participate in your retreat. They have the opportunity and the privilege to have a personal chef on the property yes. is what you're saying. Yes, ma'am. She stays with us wow. and she cooks breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So when you get up <laughs> and she, for the most part, she plates the food. So you know, <laughs> so it is, it is a break. And I remember one of the ladies that attended this past year, she was, we, we, in one of our workshops, we would, she was talking, um, and we would did, we did a workshop on reclaiming your time. Mm-hmm. And in that we were just talking about as women, what we're juggling, what we're dealing with. And she was talking about how she was so sick of cooking for her family. And not that it was that she that she didn't she was like, but she didn't enjoy it as much because it became like a duty, like, you know, and and she felt unappreciated. And, you know, and so we were all laughing and talking about it. She was just saying how huge it was that she could just get up and eat good food and she didn't have to worry about preparing nothing. Somebody was doing it for her. And, you know, we laughed about it, but it stood out to me because it's like sometimes it's small things that we need. Yeah to just rejuvenate us. And that's really what I think, you know, when we retreat, that's what you, that's what you need to do. You need to tap out from the rest of the world and, and just go inward 
and make it all about you, all about yourself. And that's typically what my retreat is about is, is just you being you. And, you know, even though we have workshops, we have activities, I don't force anything on anybody because I let people know this is your retreat. You need to retreat how you desire to retreat. Now, yeah, there's rules and regulations. Don't get me wrong. And I'm, I'm, that's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can't have, you can't have a madhouse, but I want people to feel comfortable. So if you decide, you know what, all I want to do is sit up on this rooftop and lay out on this chair and watch this ocean all day and read a book, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And I make it a point to let other women understand that, that this doesn't mean that this person is antisocial. This person needs to get what they need to get from this retreat. You know what you need when you come. And so when you set that intention and you come there with that intention in mind, that's usually what you walk away with. Some people have no expectations, which is great too, and they just they just enjoy the moment. But it is it's it's, it's been a great experience. It's rewarding for me just seeing other women walk away feeling like a new person. And those were things that I that I heard, especially this last time, was I feel like a new woman. I feel like I've been changed. Um, there's one sister that, ever since she'd been back. For months, I would see her now posting a daily affirmation on Facebook. Mm. And it was something she didn't do prior to attending the retreat. So, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful when you see it. But you do tap out. And I, I can tell you another thing that happened. One year, people came back and they had a hard time kind of readjusting to social media. Yeah. Which I thought was real interesting because it was it was as if because I asked somebody because I felt like that I said is it hard for you to see negative stuff? People were like yeah I've been deleting people, um, <laughs> unfollowing people, and I was thinking I'm like is it just me? But no, it was other women, and I'm like wow mm-hmm. well we're doing something right if we can come back and even if it's just for a few months. Yeah. You know because you know the world you know you get back into your routine so you know. It, habits begin to form again, but you do have a reprieve at least for a few months. Well, I tell you, I cannot wait. So ladies, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you know, the sister just told you there's, there's room for a few more people. Now the show will air in a couple of weeks. I highly encourage you to jump on board because I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm so excited as well needed. Um, the idea of having just several days where I can just focus on my well-being, my self-improvement, checking on the family every now and then, but go back to me being around other women, around other sisters. Is, I'm so excited about it, though. So thank you. I want to thank you for providing this opportunity. Oh, yes, ma'am. But you're going to also have another trip later on in 2019. <laughs> you all are going to Africa. Is, is that what I'm understanding? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm still working out the details with this one. I had um, put out some information for an early bird uh, special for people to secure their space for $99, but that hasn't, you know, people haven't really done it. And I guess because the information is not completely out there. But yes, we are. Um, The first stop is actually going to be in Dubai. And so we're going to stop there first for a few days. And then we're going to get on a plane and then we're going to Tanzania, which is the first stop after Dubai. Wow. And then we're going to a couple other countries. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so we will be traveling. So it's, it's going to be about two weeks. So it's a two week trip. 
Now, obviously, if you're going to go to multiple countries, you can't do that just in a few days. So right. Um, right. part of the reason that I'm doing that is because I need there to be rest time for people. And obviously, I, I understand that because, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, I, I, I had a career in travel. So I understand what that means. Now, I guess I'm a little different in that, you know, me traveling like that means nothing because I did that for a living. You know, I could be gone for a week at a time and, and back and forth, you know, between America and another country several times in a week. You know, and so everybody else is not built like that. So I understand the needs to make sure that, you know, we're not on the plane for so many hours. And so part of me stopping in Dubai, I think, too, is so that you're not on a 19 hour flight. Mm hmm. And, you know, you can kind of go and, and you can sit down. And so then when we fly to those other places, the flight time is actually reduced. Wow. Um, okay. For each of those places. So that that's the kind of something that I was taking in consideration, considering what it is that I'm trying to do with it. So, of course, because I'm big on culture, naturally, that is going to be a part of it. There is going to be a little bit of relaxation built into that. And this one is actually not just for women. It is co-ed. Yeah, it's men and women. I'm going to ask you that. That's amazing. Now, that's that's really good. That's really yeah. awesome. And, and so I want to ask you a little bit about your career as a flight attendant because I'm wondering, do have you seen a difference in individuals over the, the time that you, you served in that, in that capacity, the individuals who are able to travel more often and abroad than those who, who do not in your regular day, you know, interactions with people? Do you, do you think there's a difference in the quality of life? or even the way that people view things when they've had an opportunity to travel more often? I think travel is important because it broadens your horizon. There's more to life than just what you see on your block. Mm-hmm. However, I think traveling across this country is extremely important. Yes. Because contrary to popular belief, we don't all live the same way from state to state. And there are so many beautiful things to see in America that you don't always have to be in a rush to jump on a plane and fly overseas. Get to get to know here. It's actually okay, You know, because how many people just like we're going to South Carolina, how many people realize that some of those areas when I called it an island, it is still an island. So you talk about, oh, well, I'm going to this island. You have islands in in the United States. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, not trying to be funny, no, but yeah. you do, I've you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, you have, you have beautiful beaches, you have all of these things here that you can experience. And so I think that it's actually okay to do that. Someplace that I had not been, I, I was on a business trip and this, and, and I'll go back to what you were talking about, but I was just on a business trip last year with a client of mine and we were in South Dakota and I, even though, I mean, as a flight attendant, I had been to North Dakota, but had not been to South Dakota. And I want to go back to the Black Hills. And just looking at that, you know, that's where, what is it, Mount Rushmore? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get a chance to do that because, like I said, it was a short business trip. And, you know, so it was just a business deal that we were, that we were working on. And so it was just really pretty much an overnight trip. But just to, just to see that, you know, America's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. America's beautiful and there's so much to see. And, I, and I've probably been to may, maybe every state except maybe about four that I have not been to in this country. 
So I have not been to Alaska, which I hate. And uh, I had a, a trip to Alaska that got canceled because our flight was late and they replaced our crew. And um, I've not been to Hawaii. And I really can't remember the other places that I haven't been, but those two stand out to me because those were two places that I actually really wanted to go. Yeah. But yeah, so I so as to broadening your horizons, I think that it is important to travel. And there are people who have a fear of flying. Then, you know, as as it pertains to America, you can get in a car and you can drive across country. It's huge. Mm-hmm. You can get on Amtrak and do a trip across the country on train, which is which is a beautiful experience actually. Yeah. You know, if you if you're afraid to fly, guess what? We have boats. <laughs> you know, there are cruise ships that you can actually get on. You don't even have to fly to Florida. You can drive if you're afraid to fly That's right. and get on the boat and, and you can still see something. And it's fear so much that drives so many of our decisions. And, and because of it, we lose out on so much. I mean, I know so many people who have never left the South side of Chicago because they are, I mean, they're afraid of everything from flying or from just being in a car or maybe they have never learned to drive and and it's fear that drives a lot of stuff which is funny because you and I were just talking the other day about my fear of getting back on a bike so I can't I guess I'm not wanting to talk but um (laughs) yeah and I suggest the training wheels training wheels (laughs) (laughs) I I mean they say you can never forget how to how to drive how to ride a bike and I have (laughs) some yeah but guess what we're gonna get you on that bike in South Carolina in March because (laughs) <laughs> yes, I, I, yeah, we have bikes available for people to bike ride because they bike ride on the beach. Yeah. So we're well, that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you got, you have to, you have to experience that. Yeah. What it's like, it's hard. So I rode that bike on the beach one time. Girl, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was like, oh no. <laughs> that's got to be hard work. That's got to be hard work because even walking on the beach is difficult. Ooh, I can imagine girl. a bike. Yes, it was funny now. You know what? It, it was like going in one direction was great because I think because it was kind of like a downhill. Mm. But coming in the other direction, I got off the bike. I told my uh, the, the sister that was with me, I said, mm, I can't hang, girl. I'm going to walk this bike back. I <laughs> Listen, that I'm. the good thing is that I am going to be surrounded around women who I know have nothing but love and support for me because Absolutely. I have a feeling that I may hit the ground a couple of times, but that's all right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> but you're going to hit the, but, it, but it's, it's the sand. So you'll be all right. Cool. Okay. Okay. I got it. <laughs> so I guess I'm not one to talk about fear, but it's funny because I, I, I can't get back on a bike, but I get on a plane. I'll travel. I will drive yeah. miles and miles and miles. I have been looking at the opportunity to ride. I'm looking forward to getting on Amtrak and just traveling across the country. If I have enough time to take off from work and just enjoying yeah. that, enjoying that view. And that's just, it is a, it is an extremely beautiful experience. A, f- a few years ago and probably a little bit more than a few, I did a trip with some other mothers. I, I put it out on Facebook. I said, Hey, you know, I know when, when I was younger, they used to do trips to Springfield for the children in school and my son's school hadn't done it. And I said, I think it's important that children go to their state capital and that you go and you sit in on sessions and that you understand how your government works. And anybody can do that. Anybody can get up and go to their state capital. Guess what? There's actually culture and history in those places. Mm-hmm. And just to get, to get an understanding. But we rode Amtrak. And my son had never been on you know, Amtrak before. And I thought that that was an experience that he needed. Yeah, absolutely. And the children, they, they enjoyed the train ride. I'm like, so, so it's something very simple. And guess what? That, that round trip ticket wasn't even a hundred dollars. Exactly. It's very affordable. 
Yeah. So, so again, travel, when we think of travel, it's not necessarily just getting your passport, even though I think that's important. It's not just that. It's about making your trips educational. So I do hear about a lot of people traveling now. I don't think it expands your horizon if you go strictly as a tourist. You have to go as a world learner. Mm. And if you're and if you're going as a world learner, I think then you can start to have a respect for someone else's culture. Because if you only travel and you stay on a resort, you really still don't have an understanding of other people and how they live. Because really, you're at a resort, so you're being served. Listen, you're not I, serving anybody else. You, you are know, definitely so. speaking to me right now because 10, 11 years ago, I went to Jamaica, my one and only time going to Jamaica, and I was traveling with my cousin. Mm-hmm. And I hope she's listening to this. And she didn't want to leave the resort. <laughs> so we okay. stayed on the resort, the property resort, the entire four days we were there. I did not see Jamaica like I I, I expected to because we, we didn't leave the resort. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You know, I know of people who travel and they serve, they 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 give back, they, they, they do community service, they get involved, they go into communities. And we didn't experience any of that. So I feel like I didn't see Jamaica. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, you have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, when you're in a foreign country. Now, the one thing that I that I will say, because like I said, because I do see all these groups popping up, you know, black people travel, black women travel, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I see a lot of bragging about traveling, but I'm not really hearing anything else. What have you learned? You know, so just to talk about stamps in your passport, that doesn't necessarily broaden your horizons. So understanding the culture and understanding that you also, one of the things that I, that, I, that I really think is huge for people is to respect the countries that you are visiting. You cannot take your ideas of what America is and go somewhere else and think that you can behave in the same manner in which you behave in this country because you will be in for a rude awakening. So I think that's something that's really important. I think it's important that when you travel that you kind of probably read up a little bit on customs and cultures um, in the areas that you're visiting and always be safe, you know, always know where your American embassy is, which is huge. And like I said, just travel, travel very safely. Even our trip to Africa that we are taking, you know, they're, they're secure, there's a security team that will be going with us. So, oh, but, but um, that's just how I think. So, <laughs> that's yeah. That's phenomenal. And and I love how you said, you know, when you do travel, travel through the lens of a rural learner, someone who's really trying to learn and experience it. Not just to say you're doing something or what they say now, you're living your best life. Yeah. You know, really learning and experiencing that. I think that's awesome. That is great to look yeah, at. Yeah, because you can get a beach, I mean, a beach, you know, showing me your picture on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean, you can do that at home. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need to go overseas just to sit out on somebody else's beach and brag about it. Um you know, what are you what else are you doing there? And what about that culture have you learned? How you know, are you really broadening your horizon? Yeah. You know, and it's it's extremely important. Now, I, I think as a flight attendant was a little bit different and, and I and you know, and I guess airline to airline varies. So I mean I don't know, I haven't done it in a long time, but I know when I went through training, because we traveled overseas, I had specialized trainings on cultural sensitivities and cultural norms and for the areas that we were servicing. So for instance, we flew to Japan, we flew to China, 
you know, so we had to understand those systems. And particularly for Japan, because we did a lot of uh, trips to Japan. So I've been to uh, Narita and to Osaka in Japan and just understanding what's inappropriate, what's disrespectful. Um, you know, we, there was, there were certain terms that you had to learn to speak in, in those different languages. I mean, mostly just kind of a hello kind of thing, but, yeah. uh, but it's huge. And, you know, I know we've been talking for a while, so I don't know if you, if you want me to tell you um, my little funny story from Japan. Yeah, of but... course I want to hear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. My uh, The first time I went to Japan, I believe I went to Osaka. And a friend of mine, who we are friends to this day, we got there. And my friend, she happens to be Buddhist. Mm-hmm. And so we got there. Our rooms were directly across the hall. So we went into our rooms. We were screaming, oh, my God. They have this. I was like, this is like the cleanest hotel room I think I had ever been in my life. And, you know, the tub, it was huge. And, you know, so we're bragging about, we're thinking about the room. But she ran over to me to show me the, the Buddhists have this book. I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's this red book that they, their, their religious text. And this was the first time she'd ever been to a hotel where they had that book in the hotel. Because, you know, usually they have like the Gideon's Bible, mm-hmm. but they had that and they had that book. And so, you know, but it was funny. But what I found was we went out to eat. So here's my funny. We were looking for food. And all we said was, we don't want no meat. (laughs) And I don't know if we were stereotyping at that point or whatever. But, you know, that was important to us that we didn't, you know, because we didn't know. It's like, we just want vegetables, right? So we go to this restaurant and then we're in Japan. And the restaurant happens to be a Korean restaurant. So we go in this restaurant and our waitress is Chinese kid you not (laughs) so i'm in japan at a korean restaurant with a chinese waitress i know it sounds like a joke but it's not a joke it it was actually it's actually what happened that's what happened and the lady so she had her translation huh no i'm just it's just just the whole scenario right now like it's i i could just yeah i'm 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 dying to hear what happened (laughs) but she had her translation book Uh uh-huh and so we were going back and forth with this book and she was saying, you know, but here was the interesting thing, because we hear so much about, oh, people hate us. And, and I'm not saying that the racism doesn't exist in these different places, because it does. But sometimes there's just a natural curiosity that mm-hmm. people have. And that, to me, is OK. But she kept telling the waitress kept telling me and my friend, you and me, we're the same. We same. We same. You and me, we same. We same. And I was just like, wow, this is really interesting. And then the cook came from the back to look at us and all they kept saying was oh just so pretty so pretty and my friend had braids in her hair and they wanted to touch her braids and they they rubbed our faces and they you know they touched earrings and some people are offended by that Mm -hmm. but I wasn't offended because it wasn't something offensive it was an admiration that was being given so we have to know the difference between somebody admiring you you know and yes. somebody else, you know, I don't know, I don't know what other word I want to use to describe mm-hmm. that, but sometimes it's an admiration yeah. and, and we have to know the difference and some things are not meant to be offended by, but that was my, that was my, my little, so you know, the joke. What do you yeah, think we, that she Japan, meant? we walk into a Korean restaurant with a Chinese <laughs> <baby>. <laughs> Like what, what do you think that she meant when she said we're the same <laughs> though? What that, that's the part I'm like, what, 
What do you think she meant by that? Do you think that she felt like we're that? the same? She was saying there's no difference between there's no difference. I think she was trying to tell us that she felt the same as us, that that we're the same people. Yeah. yeah. And that's what she was saying. You're we are the same. You you and me, we're same. We're same. And it was just, and she just kept saying it. Yeah, we're saying, we're the you know, same. But I really appreciate and it. And I just thought that was so powerful. Yeah. And, and you just brought up something that to me, it just hits home because there was a, you know, we talk about my, my healthy debates at home. There was a debate the other day about a social media post where an African-American woman had been, her hair was being struck by a Caucasian woman in the store. Someone called it on camera and she politely you know, was letting her know, I, I'd rather you not touch me because I think she understands maybe the intent behind that. And so my argument was, well, okay, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, she, you know, because the challenging thought was that I was challenged with, you know what, she's she's being very patient with her, but would she be the same with the rest of us, with, with her own? Because in our country and in our culture, what we've experienced, you know, when somebody wants to reach out and, and pet us, as we feel, it's it's disrespectful. But when you go somewhere else and people really, like you said, they're admiring you, I think that's a level of maturity and understanding that most of us do not have. And that's why I'm so glad you mentioned that, because I don't know how I would respond if I was traveling abroad and that happened with me, because I'm still stuck in America and what we experience sometimes mm-hmm. right here at home. So that's why that story is so important, because many of us would not know how to respond. I know I would. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would not know how to respond. Yeah, I wasn't offended at all. Now, but you also have to know the difference mm-hmm. because you know we also in that same night went to a, a club and the guy told us we couldn't come in. Oh wow! And not because we were black, he said because we didn't have a man with us. So you know, so so there's still other. But again, that's cultural things mm-hmm. that you have to understand the culture. So Japan is absolutely a patriarchal type society and well at least it was back then and in in my view and um you know i heard another story where a flight attendant was upset because they she went to a restaurant and they gave the guy a larger portion than they gave to her and they basically told her that that she was a woman and that she didn't need as much food as a man oh wow so Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you know and and the woman was offended of course but again, you're taking your values of what you think, how things operate in America. Mm-hmm. And then you take this view with you when you visit someplace else in the world. And so you get an attitude and it's understand where you are going when you are going. Just because you have this privilege that you think you have in American society does not mean that it extends to you in the rest of the world. So you need to keep that in mind. And this is why you say you have to, when you travel, you have to go as a learner, you know, as a yes. student. You know, this is yeah. why that's so important. You know, I think that is so phenomenal. That That yeah. is really important. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. Now, I want to ask you about something because we were talking about Japan. And I had the privilege of um, reading your book that you wrote. And I'm yeah. trying to learn and understand the similarities. Is it Was it influenced by, by Japanese culture? Tell us more about that. It's a book. Well, of- Haku is a Japanese poem. Okay, haiku. It is. Okay. Yes, a haiku is a Japanese poem, and it's a it's a, it's a, a poem that contains seventeen syllables only. So, so each poem was seventeen syllables. Yeah, they're only seventeen syllables. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds it sounds easy, but sometimes it's not. 
because you're trying to say something in 17 syllables. So that's a word count. You know, there are words that have five, six, seven syllables in it that, you know, so there, there, there are some of my haiku that have one line because it's a five syllable word. So nothing else is coming in there. Japanese syllables are a little bit different than American syllables. So you may see some other adaptations or some other forms where it doesn't look like it's actually 17 syllables, but Japanese syllables are different. So when we, when we do 17 syllables for American, it's going to, it may be a little bit different. Um, they also have a poem called Atanka, which is 31 syllables. And I, I do those too. Part of, I think I learned how to do haikus when I was in grammar school, actually. Really? Yeah. <laughs> actually, wow. one of my uh, classmates had mentioned the fact that it, about us learning how to do it. He's like, oh, I remember this from so-and-so's class. And so it's so so I can't say that it was influenced by me traveling to Japan because I learned how to do it as a child. Um, but there was a um, honey, honestly, the person who kind of sparked my interest in doing them again was an ex of mine who I was involved with. And he would write hakus and then we ended up writing hakus. Like we actually had a conversation one time in haku. <laughs> That's amazing. To me. Yeah, I know. Nerd, nerd, on some nerd stuff right there, but. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, but, you know, but it just, it just kind of sparked it, you know, and I, and I continued to, to do it, but part of it was very much therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. And it was also a lesson in less. Sometimes we can make a profound point without talking so much. See, that's and, the thing that why I enjoyed it so much because I'm like, okay, each one of these are very impactful, but they were short. They were short, and you're explaining that the 17 syllables. So each of them were 17 syllables. I did not. I I, I understood, but I didn't understand. So mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, thank you for bringing that down to me because. As I go through and I and there each chapter has like a different theme, correct? Yes, ma'am. And so I'm going through that and it applies to different parts of our lives. Um, and there's just those small sayings, you know. What I mean, we don't I know that when I was a kid and they were trying to make me memorize my Bible scriptures, I rebelled and I refused to because I just like, why? What's the point? But if somebody had given me a just a small message that I can really carry and really remember. It would have and it would have made a difference. And so when I pick up your book and I go through it, and I'm I'm touching on different things related to whatever theme that that aligns with my current situation, um, they they really do stick with me. And so that's why I'm fascinated by haiku. I I never heard of it before. And the fact that you learned it as a child is amazing to me. <laughs> I learned a lot as a child. Interestingly, I've I've, I've found that a lot of my peers, you know. And I'm and I'm a proud Chicago public school educated yes. <laughs> person, and you know. But sometimes I think it matters who the teacher is. Right. And so when you have a teacher who has a love for teaching, it, it dictates the experience I think that your children will have in school. So I, I'm I'm very Absolutely. thankful because uh, please, we used to I used to I, I've been doing poetry since I was in the fourth grade. And learning different styles. And I, and I was laughing. I told someone that I think it was the fourth grade, third or fourth grade, third grade, that I learned 
and had to actually do the debate between W.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Wow. You know, um, so I don't know. I think, you know, no, I had some pretty uh, pro-black teachers. <laughs> that makes a difference. That makes a difference. It does. Because that's what I'm thinking, like, who was teaching you? Because I feel like we we, we uh, shortchanged my son. Like, he's oh, yeah. not getting experience that he should be getting. But you're right. It depends on the individual and what they value. Yeah. Yeah. My son didn't get my experience either, so I had to supplement. But yeah, so but as to the as to that, so the, so my love for poetry really started as a child. Um, I, I was very interested in the Har- Harlem Renaissance period. You know, you know, some of my favorite poets, are, you know, are older poets. You know, like I love Paul Lawrence Dunbar, and I love Sonia Sanchez, and I, you know, it's just so many, you know. And, um, you know, so it's, it's just in that spirit. But like I said, but that was just something different. The haku was something different. I write, I write other types of poetry as well. But for me, that it, it provided a therapy. And like I said, I just wanted something concise, something that I could really just get to the point and just to kind of train myself mm-hmm. to focus. And it, it kind of forces you to focus in on what's most important. Right. Well, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about well, I want to make sure for one, if people are able to actually still get the book, I bought the book. Are people able to still purchase it on Amazon? You can purchase it on Amazon or you can buy it directly um, from our website, which is then the sunrose.com. Okay. We're going to make sure we put that in the, in the show notes as well. I encourage everybody to pick it up and I'm going to have it on the retreat with me as I travel and as I sit in front of the ocean, so I encourage you guys oh. to pick it up. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. My book is with me. Well, you can actually register for the retreat on that same website. So the retreat information is on that website, and the link to buy the book is on that website. Or if, you know, for anybody else, they can go to Amazon. But to get an autographed copy, it has to come through that website. Oh, yes. The autographed copy is important. And um, I need to bring mine to you, um, Akilah, yes, so ma'am. that I can get a sign. Okay, we're going to do that. We're going to make that work. <laughs> So I'm so excited about everything that you have going on. And um, I want to really ask you about one other thing, though, as it relates to where we are in all the things that we've talked about. We talked about mediation. We talked about the retreat. We talked about women and just, you know, some of the needs that we have. How do what direction do you see the work of the Royal Emperor's organization going in that direction? Do do you see, you know, adding on new endeavors, new efforts? What what can we expect from what you can share? Um there's so much that we have in the works that you will start to see. So workshops, you know, and and of course we're already doing individual things which to me, is still work on behalf of the Royal Empress. Right. So all of those endeavors, when you see me out doing anything, I'm representing the Royal Empress. Mm-hmm. Honestly. But yeah, but we do we do have some workshops that we are working on. And ultimately, we'll, we will end up with having a, a women's conference. Yes. Okay. All right. So yeah, <laughs> so that is that is definitely um, on the horizon. You know, but like I said, but we do so much that we want to make sure that it is what we need there, you know, because there's so many conferences out there today. There's so many things that so many women are doing. And so we are applauding everyone and what they're doing, you know, and we're, and we want to participate in what everyone else is doing. 
but we definitely have something in store that we want to be different. Right. And it's well needed, to be honest with you. It's well needed because there are times when I've gotten discouraged from women's groups and women's retreats. But that's why I said, you know, there's a level of excitement within me because what you all are offering is very practical and it is completely um, appropriate for our culture and where we are right now. Oh, absolutely. So it's well needed. And so I'm excited about that. The other thing is that because you do practice law, um, on this particular show, I meet with a lot of people who are either new entrepreneurs or seasoned or people who are thinking about starting, you know, some type of business endeavor, you know, are you available? Um, are you taking new clients? If one, if one wants to reach out to you for that? I always take new clients. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am, I do. And that, and, and, you know, we haven't focused much on that because I, <laughs> because you know me, but yes, Always. I, I honestly, I love business people. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think I love it and particularly newer businesses because it's it's like a new baby, you know, and just that whole creates it's a it's extremely creative process when you're in the beginning stages. And, and even those who are already, you know, doing what they do. But it's the creative aspect and the creative mind of business people that I enjoy working with. them. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, one of the things that I have to end on and know that I want to end on before we close out is I usually have a confession in the beginning and, and that's it. But I have an ending confession. Uh oh. So I have to say that as a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, my confession is that I love Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, who Akila Shabazz is a proud member of. So Yay. salute to you and finer womanhood. Um, we five. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Divine nine represented. And this is true. Like I, you know, anybody that knows me in college, I, you know, the, the Zetas were um, wonderful women, you know, and they always welcomed me and they were just kind and just generous. And, um, you know, and as we talk about sisterhood, I want to salute you and your sorors for just being good people, honestly. And and thank you, because and some of my best friends happen to be Sigma Gamma Rho. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we got the blue in common. I will We say. got the blue in the house. <laughs> we got the blue in the house. I had a brother from Phi Beta Sigma on this week, actually. Okay. Here this weekend. Um, he's from Phi Beta Sigma. And so, you know, I kept saying, oh, we got the blue. He was like, we got Sigma too. And I was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? Do we got Sigma in common? <laughs> so, right. so, you know, I wanted to salute you because I did not mention it at the beginning of the show, but I wanted to also share my confession that I, you know, they just were good, good to me, good people, good to me. And, and yeah. you know, those college years are tough. And so I, I've had nothing but positive and wonderful experiences with your sorority. And you not only, um, do you uh, represent and demonstrate final womanhood, but you, you literally, you bring that out the, from the rest of us as well. I mean, when I, when I listen to your podcast every Monday, now I'm moving to Sunday nights because I can't wait. I used to have the patience to wait to, to Monday morning on my way to work, but now I listen to every Sunday night, you know, oh. that, that comes down, you pass that on, you know? So it's, it's oh, uh, everything. No, absolutely. I, I thank you because everything that you do has been such an inspiration. And so I salute all three of you sisters. I look forward to speaking with your co-host in the next few weeks. Um, but you were the first from the show to come on. And so I want to thank you for that. 
Oh, I pre- I uh, honestly I appreciate you inviting me on. I appreciate you putting up with me because <laughs> because I know I am not the best person to interview. And I and I know I gave you that disclaimer from the beginning. I'm like sometimes yeah. it's like pulling teeth with me, you know, and I think because I'm used to being in the interviewer seat. No, oh, yeah. And yeah, and yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, I can't help but to think the way that I think, you know, I, I, I am analytical in my thinking, but I'm also very, you know, calculated in terms of my responses and things. So, you know, I'm always thinking about all sorts of things and what I'm saying. So I think sometimes that that leads to a level of difficulty to interview. But I, I think I did OK. <laughs> I think we did great. I had, I had enjoyed this conversation. And like always, whenever you are on the mic, I walk away learning something. And the fact that I know, I think now about how we have to look at things when we travel, we had to see things a certain way and view it, not from our perspective here as black people in the U.S. who are descendants of slaves and all the things that come with that. But, you know, other cultures don't necessarily that's not necessarily on the menu for them, you know? And so when you go and you travel places, what are we learning as a world learner, as you say? And I love that. I mean, there's so many things from just this conversation, the mediation that I think we could all take back and we can consider as we go back to our day-to-day lives. And so no, I think this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I can talk to you forever, but you are busy and you know, you are a mom. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go, but uh, we, we we mentioned, can, can you give us the website one more time where they can um, register for the retreat or purchase the book? Mm-hmm. It's com. Okay. And any parting words that you would like to share with the family today? Oh, she put me on the spot, y'all. All right. <laughs> you got this? You got this? Yeah. You know what? Just... I mean, just from everything that we talked about today, I, all I want to do, I want to, I want to see all black women win. Yes. That's honestly, that that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see us win. I want to see black people win as a whole, but the woman is the first teacher. And yes. so we have to start with the woman. And when you elevate the woman, you elevate the world, you elevate, you know, society, because we are the we're the first teacher. We we teach behavior, we teach everything, and we teach other people how to treat us. You know, and so I'll just give you these two quotes. One, uh, I have two favorite quotes. One is by Mary McLeod Bethune, mm-hmm. and that is that the true worth of a race must be measured by the character of its womanhood. Wow, I wow. believe that wholeheartedly, and I also believe in what Alexandra Dumas, the the author of The Three Musketeers, who happens to be a black man, and many people don't know that, but uh, of, you know, black and French. And he says that men's minds are raised to the level of the women with whom they associate. Mm. So our role is is huge. Our roles are huge because we, we are the ones who really affect the world and, you know, we teach people how to treat us. Right. And if we just keep that in mind, you know, I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing us grow. Absolutely. And to add to all of that, in the beginning of our conversation, as I listened to your story about you meeting the great Muhammad Ali, I said that I had a similar story the where I was just excited. Yes. Well, that person who I met was Bill Cosby. (laughs) (laughs) 
So now I'm not gonna listen. I'm not gonna even go there because I first I did not get a kiss from Bill, but I did. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> but he did shake my hand. He looked me dead in my face and asked me, "Was I having a good time at his show?" And so that was very special for me. So the reason why this is so interesting because, of course, all that's going on though, but. I say all that to say that I try to bring light and laughter out of every situation. Yes, so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and and I'm sure he was a gentleman. Oh, yes, he was. And, he was. and yeah, and all of those. The, yeah. And I mean, and we, yeah, we're not we're not touching that 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 topic because I already told people I'm not I'm not debating. I'm not, exactly. I feel yeah, you. we're not I, ready I, to debate Bill Cosby. You know, I have a completely different perspective quite frankly, than a lot of people, because mm-hmm. I look at it more from the lens of a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's really no emotion in it for me. Absolutely. And so that's why I, I tend to not really debate with people. I mean, there is that, you know, we can compartmentalize things. So yeah, I can see him from my pro-black lens, but mm-hmm. I also see it from the lens of of how the system works and right. how the system is flawed. and you know, all of those things. So I just choose not to debate with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. But no, I, he, he was absolutely a gentleman, but it was funny because we were, I was at a comedy show and he, I was brought into the joke. And so oh. because I was brought into the joke, he wanted to make sure that I was good, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it's just interesting that this week, you know, we're having this conversation. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my little thing I'll share. So on that note, <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> so family has been great. I want to thank Akila Shabazz again for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for being who you are and doing what you do for our culture and our community and for black women. Um, thank you. You thank are you. welcome. Thank you so much. And so family, of course, has been great. If you have any questions or concerns that you would like to address with me, please email me at laurentemeeks at gmail.com. And don't forget to go to confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com and support the website. You could pick up your shirt. You could pick up your book. You can buy me a cup of coffee if you like. So if that, that is, if you're enjoying this show, if you are enjoying the show, please rate us our five stars and give us a review. All right, guys, you take care. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Melanated Queen. Follow Dr. Meeks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dr. Lauren Meeks. If you have a confession, visit confessionsofamelanatedqueen.com and share your story. Peace and love.